Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I am uh, super excited because we've got one of the originators of the, I guess you would say the K-Rock format, <laughs> kind of invented, or, you know, along with many others, invented uh, or created this new exciting format that got me excited about radio. And me. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it was weird when I, you know, Kind of flipping the dial, I, I moved away from KMET and KLOS. Like, well, what's over here? Kind of experiencing. Okay, so you're giving a you know great introduction, but we have our very first guest. On what difference does it make? Yeah, we're, we're first guest ever. First guest ever. Okay. Oh my god! Right, exactly. We're a young podcast. <laughs> so as I told you, um, we're very excited to introduce Freddie Snakeskin. You know Freddie from KROQ. You know Freddie from the '90s at Mars. You know Freddie from Sirius XM. You know Freddie from <laughs> right. You, you know Freddie from the, from the Hollywood Police Station. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I haven't been there, but you also know her from KROQ HD two. Correct. Currently. Currently, yes. Very good. He's come and gone from K Rock. He's uh, he's. It's just a station you you just can't win. Yeah, well, they say fourth times a charm. <laughs> has it been four times? <laughs> it has been four times. Yes. Oh my goodness! All right. Wow. Wait. So how many? <laughs> each, years each one a little different. <laughs> uh, I first started there in March of 1980. You you don't just march into a radio station and they give you hey let's let's get you on the air where. Well, I, I had actually quite a bit of radio experience. I grew up in Phoenix and uh, worked at a couple of top 40 stations after after working my way up through high school at uh, various crappy uh, little suburban stations. And uh, then I was good enough to get a, a job at, uh, at the leading top 40 station in town. And from there, I got an offer to come to L.A. for another top 40 station, an AM station called 10Q which uh, you may remember. That yes. was uh, about 1977 or thereabouts. Yes. I remember. So that's what brought me to uh, to L.A. And that fizzled out after about a year and a half. So I um, got a job at a radio syndicator called Watermark doing uh, various production tasks. I was the, uh, the fastest tape editor in the West. <laughs> I had a scully with a foot pedal to release the brakes. So <laughs> and uh, okay, we cannot take for granted good editors. <laughs> well, especially back then, editors. this was not. 
<laughs> you know, this was not digital editing. You had a razor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And splicing things. And, and occasionally <laughs> the wounds on my hands to, uh, to show for it. <laughs> and so um, – So 10Q. From 10 10- – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you to Watermark, and then I got a, a part-time job at an AOR station called K-West, mm-hmm. which you may remember also. 105.9? Yes. Yes. Now Power Free 106. Power. Yes. And um, they changed format to some kind of easy listening, and so right? I was... So they they, they switched from, from hard rock to... To like Muzak? Well, it was like hot AC. It oh, okay. Was, you know, Captain and Tunneel. Yeah. Know. Sure, because this Do was 79. Do it to me one more time. And this was 1979. This That's the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was hot stuff. That was literally. Right. Literally hot stuff. <laughs> I was uh, friends with um, much people at KMET, which was my goal then was to get a job at KMET. So I was, I was lobbying them pretty hard. But then I thought, well... If I got on the air at, say, a station like K-Rock, I could uh, Make a use, money. <laughs> use that as my uh, audition mm-hmm. uh, to get into KMET. So I started doing weekends at K-Rock, and I figured, well, this will never last, because at that time, uh station didn't even have a license, mm-hmm. which is a whole other story we can we can discuss <laughs> if, you, if you want. But, uh, of oh, yeah. course. <laughs> and uh, one thing led to another, and... Yada, yada, uh, yada. K-Rock kind of suited me, so I just stayed put. Now, were, were you aware of K-Rock? Obviously, you were, as a radio guy, you had oh, yeah. flipped around through, uh, through the yeah, dial. I, I, and- I had listened for years. I was a listener. I'm a listener that went too far. <laughs> what was it about those early days of K-Rock that attracted you? Like, well, I'll give this a shot, or, or something that, that intrigued you, like when they made the offer, like, well, oh, this. They had the potential to, to be so many things. And I just didn't hear it at the time. It was just really sloppy and amateurish. Mm-hmm. And so uh, K Rock eventually hired a program director with top forty training by the name of Rick Carroll. And uh, so he structured a little format. They would he, they wouldn't let him change too much about it. They wanted the music to stay. Mm-hmm. The ownership wanted the music to stay uh, pretty much as it was because. Uh, Often had used to have a little debate with Rick. Well, it was up to if it was up to you, we'd be doing nothing but Beatles weekends, <laughs> and he'd say, "Well, if it was up to you, we'd be playing nothing but Frank Zappa freeform weirdness." <laughs> so, so it was kind of like dynamic tension. You were talking about the music, uh, wanting to work at KMET before going on the air for practice at KROQ. Do you have a musical preference? Do you? Um, I guess you should probably decline well, to say um, now since you're uh, I've always been a uh, fan of adventurous, different-sounding music. Even uh, in, a, in a top 40 context, I was always listening to B-sides and, and weird stuff and trying to sneak stuff on the air with uh, various degrees of success. So what was it about KMET wanting to be on the air at KMET? Well, at the time, KMET was the, uh, you know, was the 800-pound gorilla of radio and in, in not just L.A., but in, in the country. Yeah. One of the most influential stations ever at that time. And uh, K-Rock was just a little toilet in Pasadena without a license. A lot of listeners went from KMET to KROQ. Yeah, yeah, That was the, the, the transition. Oh, definitely. So, so okay. Yeah, but at, but at the time, so they, they, 
you know, well, I, I can't remember who owned KMET. I mean, it was, you know, they were. It was Metro Media. Yeah. Yes. yeah so that was yeah. a big, big deal. Can you talk a little bit about the owners at that time? Who oh, uh, yeah. That's quite a story there. Was just <laughs> one guy by the name of Ken Roberts. One guy. He had been um, Sly Stone's manager. Also, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and Jay in the Americans. He's a, he was a businessman mm-hmm. from Hoboken. Perfect. And uh, why he, are you he, making quotes when you say businessman? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had, uh, he just had that way about him. Sure. Uh, he, he had that mafia stare uh, perfected. You know, like that glare. <laughs> like, what do you want? You know, is every other fucking word he said was fucking. <laughs> but, so he was like, you know, you. He wasn't really a gangster, but he kind of like carried himself that way. And so he uh, was a, was a money guy. He had lent the original owners of K Rock. Uh, he had lent them fifty thousand dollars and um, to stage a concert with Sly Stone at Redondo Beach on a uh, on a boat. Uh, some kind of a, you know. What can go wrong? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, long story short, it sank in Redondo Beach Harbor. And it turns out that uh, they never bothered to get any insurance. And so they uh, ended up uh, owing the city of Redondo Beach uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get rid of this hulking wreck. Uh <laughs> And so all the uh, owners of K-Rock, because they had uh, incorporated it as a general partnership as opposed to a limited partnership, that meant all the individual investors were each liable for the debts of the company. So all those people scattered to the four winds. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was basically nobody left to, to run the station and you know pay the bills. And so uh, Ken Roberts saw his investment, you know, Literally. Falling. Flying away with Thinking. wings on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he figured he better do something. And uh, at that time, the FCC had a rule that uh, if you were dark, if you're not broadcasting after a certain day, you forfeit the license. So K-Rock had been off the air for I don't know how long it was, but the, the deadline was fast approaching where if uh, it didn't get back on the air, that uh, – they would no longer have the license. So uh, Ken sent two guys up to the transmitter site. He, he paid the past due electric bills, and he bought some bare-bones radio equipment. And he sent two guys up to the transmitter with bolt cutters and a reel-to-reel tape recorder. It was a Roberts <laughs> tape recorder, you know, <laughs> of course. incidentally, uh, just to, uh, to play a tape and get something on the air. And so as soon as that happened, that automatically reset the timeline. <laughs> and so he became essentially a uh, unlicensed creditor in possession of the of the station's assets, and uh, so he wanted to get his, you know, he said, "All I want is my fifty thousand dollars back." And then it became, "All I want is my half million dollars back." Yeah, uh, and he uh, saw that it could uh, be turning into a lucrative thing, at least for him. Mm-hmm. You know, get a bunch of. Uh, Get a bunch of guys on the air and um, pay him whatever, what, however little he could get away with, and um, just basically let him do whatever they wanted as long as he didn't jeopardize the uh, non-existent license, and you know, get on there and and swear and <laughs> things like that. So, th- 
And what year? What was the what year was this? Like, this was so, about this was the late 70s, 78, 79, somewhere in there. Okay, so seventy seven maybe. All right, so young Freddie Snakeskin is looking for something. Well, that time I was at ten Q, and I, I was you know I, I was a K Rock listener, and I found the whole situation very interesting. Were you aware of what was going on at this time? Um, yeah, because I had a good friend that worked there. Okay, and who was that? I used to go up and visit him. It's a guy named uh, Brad Sobel. Uh, Sandy Beach mm. okay. was his uh, radio name, very original. And so uh, he was fascinated with uh, with my job at 10Q, and I was kind of fascinated with his station. So we'd uh, visit each other back and forth. And he kind of filled me in on the, on the story of Ken Roberts and what was going on. And so when you interviewed, did you interview with Ken Roberts for the job? No, I never oh, met him until – I never met him until uh, – couple of years after I'd started working there. Oh, really? He was just this enigmatic figure on a hill. You just heard the story. Heard the name. and uh, There's a talk of this man. Sudden, there's this grumpy old man. Oh, that's him. Wow. So he wasn't a music guy. He was just a business guy. Uh, he was uh, He was a music guy in that he was in the concert, concert promotion music. business and a uh, manager of artists like uh, usually when, when their careers were failing like uh, – Sly Stone and uh, Frankie Valley. Mm-hmm. He became Frankie Valley's manager just before Greece. Good time. So, uh, yeah. So it was like coming into K Rock. To- <laughs> All right. So now you're at now you're at K Rock. Yeah. Are you what? Is it an overnight yeah. shift? Is it a? Uh, well, I started weekends and then uh, late nights and, and who then the, afternoons. And who was the PD? Or was there uh, a PD? The PD was Rick Carroll. Okay. It so- was he was the guy with top forty sensibilities that. Uh, you know, that I could sort of relate to because we actually, we both actually worked at real stations, unlike uh, probably most of the other jocks. Yeah. And so he's kind of credited with, with creating this, uh, yeah. this format. I mean, he was um, And basically, he, he, he just applied top 40 formatics to, uh, to all the weird music that uh, K-Rock was playing. He identified uh, what were the hits, and, you know, he stressed those in rotation and... Uh, he, he uh, they wouldn't let him change too much, mm-hmm. so uh, he he left one slot open every hour where we could play whatever we wanted, and that was uh, in many ways the keys to the key to K Rock's early success is the freedom of the of the jocks to uh, go out and find interesting music and no matter where it came from and bring it in and play it, which resulted in some really awful stuff on the air, but also. Um, that's where most of many of the hits that we uh, that we pioneered came from, especially the imports. So is this? Uh, so you kind of found yourself. You were kind of like mining for gold a lot. Did you? Were you going to record stores or were there? Yeah, what I was, was, I was, I was what going. Was... I was going to record stores. I was going to poobahs all the time. And uh, I had a friend who ran a record distributor in Lawndale, and he would just let me uh, go in and uh, scour the shelves and take whatever looked interesting. And so I'd walk out of there every week with this big Beacons box full of albums, imports, and just amazing stuff, most of which wasn't suitable for airplay, but it helped me fill in the gaps in my own collection mm-hmm. and uh, enabled K-Rock to be first on the air with uh, a lot of these strange imports. And we would play them uh, in, in Rick's uh, Top 40 rotation, and the good ones would become hits, and then the local, the American record companies would pick up on them and try to figure out what it was we were playing. 
and then go over to England and, and sign the bands. And then six months later, the record would come out here, by which time we were kind of done with it. And we were onto something else, so that didn't necessarily endear us to a lot of record companies. You've got the What Difference Does Make podcast on your dial. If there is such a thing as a dial, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's get back to the exciting conclusion of the What Difference Does It Make podcast. And how did you figure out what was a hit? I mean, you, you had three, you played, you got three songs during, you, what, three, four-hour shift? Yeah, so yeah, four-hour so, shift. So you got to introduce four new songs yeah. per shift? How would, how would you figure out what a hit was? Or, or I mean, it, just, know, off, just off basic, one play. Just basically if we liked it. And uh, judging from what our listeners liked... Um, yeah, I think this one will catch on. Like, uh, yeah, give me some examples. Uh, yeah, so what were some that took Blue them? Monday, my new order was just an unknown import when I first uh, got it out of the box. And uh, uh, Billy Idol's first uh, 12 inch dancing with myself was another one. And uh, Depeche Mode and B Movie and all those that we know and love today. What were some uh, of them that didn't? Some of your picks that you can think of that didn't make it, <laughs> that you never played again? Oh, there's too many of those. <laughs> Just one. I want to know if we've heard I, of it. <laughs> I do remember. I mean, 
It seemed like in the early days, if there was mention of sex or some or something, it uh, you know there was there was always something provocative about K Rock. That I mean, I still remember there was a song like "Too Young to Date." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember buying like as a fourteen year old, like this is crazy. And I, yeah. I remember searching that out. Like, I yeah. love this. Song. You, you play that today, you'd have uh, you'd have parents marching on on the station and lining the blocks. But that's what you. That's what yeah, you love playing. Yeah, yeah. And, even the even our our general manager made us stop playing that, <laughs> or at least they they he made us start playing a an edited version, where uh, you know he's just talk, talking about my menstrual cycle. <laughs> they changed it to he's just talking about his favorite cycle. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the radio right. But that was I mean that's what made K Rock fun. I mean um, it seemed like there was always. Something like drops, or I mean, there was always activity going on. We I, we were just looking at um, a YouTube video of you on the air. Oh yeah. First, first of all, you're smiling throughout the whole t- the whole time the camera's on. You're having the time well, of your was, life. It was so much fun. You yeah, know? I mean, it was clear that you're having a great time and you're getting away with something. Yeah, I mean, some it, looked like the cat that ate the canary. <laughs> but there were you always had drop. I mean, you know, like the yes, we were, like to keep a little an active stage going. Well, I thought little little snippets of uh, of tape, like from uh, from Dragnet and uh, various <laughs> old movies and TV shows, would sound weird and funny. So, you know, I'd put those on uh, on a tape cartridge and just drop them in every now and then. And it's still done to this day. I mean, you listen yes, it to is. It. And well, now they're on the records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you listen to yeah, you listen to Kevin Bean. In the morning, and they're they're still doing dry. You know, they're taking oh, yeah. old tape, and yeah, it's an old pro- it's an old radio trick. I, I don't claim to have invented it by any means. Yeah, but, uh, but it's kind of a, a thing now. For, or you know, from K Rock from the from the the get go. Yeah, we were like, kind of heavy handed about it back then, but that that's, <laughs> that was kind of the fun. Yeah, yeah, the radio landscape at the time. I mean, there was there was KMT, there was KLOS, and there was there was K West, and there was another small state called KNEC that was also right. doing freeform. Well, here's the deal. Uh, one of the uh, ways that K Rock became popular is that at that time there weren't enough, uh, say, new wave or, or K Rock type songs to build a viable format around. So uh, we would play uh, half, uh, you know, traditional AOR music. With the thought that uh, people looking for K West would find K Rock, and you know, them too far to the come, right. Come for the Zeppelin, stay for the B fifty twos. So this and is, uh, that worked rather well. Yeah, that was why answers we answers our question about our as we look at the top one hundred six point seven songs. Yeah, in yeah, we there were, were some. Shocked. There were some real duds in there. That's for sure. There was, but yeah, you saw the Stones, the Kings. Yeah, Rush. yeah, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> you played Tom Sawyer uh, many, many times. And was this part of Rick Carroll's initial yeah. idea? Yeah. We're gonna we'll play songs that this is and well, there, there weren't that many devos at the time. There weren't that many B fifty twos. But when did the the record companies start sniffing? Like, okay, this this might be something we're gonna have to march. We got well by about nineteen eighty three, the uh, or thereabouts, um, the uh, quality of uh, K rock type music that was available increased quite a bit. So we were able to shed uh, the Van Halens and the uh, the Billy Squires and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that stuff, and kind of leave it in the sandbox and move on. Was MTV an influence on what you were playing, or was it vice versa? Uh, I think it was actually vice versa. Actually, um, 
MTV, I think, came along, 82, something like that. 81. Video, yeah, 80, uh, video killed the radio star and all that. And so we, we had an early partnership with MTV where we were promoting them on the air, and mm. hopefully they were promoting us by playing our music. Yeah, so that's it. I think it worked out a little better for them. You you soon discovered fans became kind of passionate about the the station. And oh, very very passionate. Can you talk about a little bit about your whatever the business office was like or the station was like at uh, in oh, Pasadena? It was, it was a it was a real dump. It was uh, <laughs> the second floor of a, of a of an old building had a uniform shop on the first floor, and you you climb this rickety uh, staircase, and there'd be the Underwhelming uh, uh, presence of of K Rock up there with the, <laughs> you know cheap old tapestries across the windows and you know posters on the wall and uh, but it was home. It was yeah. People can't tell what the uh, what the environment it's coming from is like when it when it comes out of the radio. I mean, we could have had pristine studios and well, well that was part of the joy of it. I mean, we it sounded like this, you know. Magic was happening from, from well, the you, station, yeah. you know? You, uh, if you've seen the video, you can see that they didn't really spend a whole lot of money on interior decorating. <laughs> Clearly not. But Did that add to the vibe? Did that add to the, you know, we're... Well, we thought it was kind of tacky at the time, but uh, looking back, it was, like you say, it was home. Okay, so let's uh, let's end the, our part one of the interview right here. Wrapping up part one. That was uh, that's pretty interesting stuff. Thanks, Freddie. Yeah, this is great. Uh, we're going to divide this up into many episodes, and uh, maybe no, just three. Three, three sounds good. Three <laughs> is the magic number. Um, so we will uh, continue this next week. By the way, follow us on uh, social media, uh, Twitter, what's the, and Instagram. What do we got there? WDDIM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and what difference does it make on Facebook? And any podcast platform you choose. Sounds great. So tune in next week to, um, for part two of our Freddy Snakeskin interview. And thanks for listening to What Difference Does It Make? Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.